Chris Ullman, an internationally recognized whistling champion, is the embodiment of work-life balance. Ullman has performed his unique gift for the likes of President George W. Bush, The Tonight Show, thousands of fans at NBA halftime shows, and over 400 people on their birthdays every year. By day, he is managing director at the Carlisle Group, an investment firm with $175 billion under management, and a board member at the Fund for American Studies. In a live conversation with Ivy, Ullman shares how he's used his simple gift to touch hearts, change lives, and bridge the gap between personal and professional happiness, all while giving tips for how to up your whistling game along the way. Greetings, thanks, Peter. It's uh, great to be here. And it, it, sometimes people are shocked when they hear there even is a international whistling competition. Um, there is such a thing, and for m more than 40 years, it's taken place in this little town in North Carolina called Lewisburg, uh, which is around 30 miles north of Raleigh. Uh, and it's a sleepy little town. And uh, at this point, around 45 years ago, uh, someone was at a talent show and. Uh, that had been going on for a while and said, hey, can I whistle in the talent show? And the organizers were kind of thrown back by this because it was, no one had ever whistled in the talent show. Uh, so they allowed the person to compete and he won. Uh, so that actually kicked off the, what was then the national whistling competition and then uh, turned into the international competition. Uh, <clears throat> so to um, paraphrase the Grateful Dead, uh, what a long, strange trip it's been. Because I, I started whistling when I was five years old, uh, and so I'm about to celebrate my golden whistling anniversary. I'm going to be 55 in May, and I started when I was five, so which is kind of shocking and disturbing at the same time. Uh, <clears throat> so my father would go around the house and whistling, for the most part, uh, Gilbert and Sullivan songs, and I had no idea what it was, but I just was able to figure out kind of the three factors, which is lips, tongue, air. and, uh, and it wasn't very good back then, and, but you know, thankfully over time I've gotten better. But I was, so I was able to do it. And what's interesting about uh, whistling is that over the years I've had people say to me, well, I've tried for years and I just can't do it. And I say, well, let's, let's try. So I'll, they'll have them do it and it, nothing comes out. And I say, so you really tried for years, you really tried. And they say, yes. And I say, well, then there is no hope for you. Uh, <laughs> because it is somewhat of a genetic phenomenon, I have determined. And, but for people who kind of have half-heartedly tried and can't do it, I can teach you. So if anyone wants lessons, let me know. Uh, so uh, if I had these, like most people who've done interesting things and become accomplished, you can kind of go back and find these kind of key moments in your life. So one of the first key moments in my life was when I was around uh, 13 to 16 years old. I had a paper route. I lived on Long Island in New York. And so for two hours every day, seven days a week, I would get on my little Schwinn Stingray and I would go pick up my papers and deliver them. But I was whistling the whole time. And back then, it was more of a volume thing. People would say, oh, I, I heard you coming. Well, they never said anything about how good it was, uh, which was, again, you know, little by little, I got there. Uh, and as Peter mentioned, I, I love classical music. So as a child, that's all I listened to from you know, five years old till I was in my mid-teens, which is just pure classical. So I was, when I was on my paper out, I'd be whistling Beethoven and Tchaikovsky and Mozart, whatever it was. And, 
I had this, this awesome set of albums called the 120 Masterpieces. And if anyone is around my age and you lived in New York, you, you remember the, the advertisements for it. And it was just these little snippets of classical music. And to this day, if I hear one of those snippets, I know the song that comes after it. You know, on your favorite album, you know the next song. And um, so then uh, another key moment was uh, I had moved to Washington at this point. Um, and in college, I had uh, started whistling in kind of blues and jazz uh, open mic nights, and I had a friend who had a, a jazz band, uh, and it was it was really an interesting experience. Where the first time um, I, I actually said to someone who was a jazz musician, I said, "Do you ever let people perform with you?" And he said, "Well, it depends on what you play." And I said, "Well, me, the whistler." And he's like, mm, "I don't know about that," uh, but he said, "Okay, well, what the heck?" So that was literally in college the first time I'd ever kind of done improvisational whistling in front uh, of an audience. And it was, it was kind of freaky because the audience, you know, they hear the piano and they hear the guitar and then the whistler goes. And at first people are kind of giggling, but then they're like, wow, that was kind of cool. That's pretty neat. Um, and then I, so then I come to Washington after college and uh, start going to open mic nights and, you know, same kind of thing. You're in this smoky bar. That's when they allowed smoking in bars. And you kind of go up to the guy who was operating the open mic list and, uh, and I'd say, he'd say, what do you play? Kind of over the, the din of the music. And I'd say, I whistle. And he'd say, you wrestle? No, I'm like, no, i say, I whistle like that. And he'd say, huh? So I, he just put me at the bottom of the list. And eventually, I'd kind of work my way up to the top. And I'd go and jam. And, and people would like it. So you know, kind of a pattern was emerging. So I, I thought there was hope. Um, and then kind of the ultimate key moment happened. This is in 1992. And um, I was hiking in the Shenandoah National Park, uh, an old rag, if anyone's ever been there. Um, and if you haven't, you should go. It's a gorgeous place. And I'm hiking and whistling along, and a friend of a friend uh, turns to me and says, wow, you're a pretty good whistler. You should do something with that. And I said, well, I've heard there's a competition, but I don't know anything about it. Uh, and so kind of the mutual friend says to me, well, if it exists, I will find it. So she, we, we finish the hike. She goes, comes back to Washington. She goes to this building. They had buildings there with books in them called libraries. And um, so she would, uh, there was no internet in 1992. So she found a directory of national events. And sure enough, there is the National Whistlers Convention. We send away for information. And I apply. I make a demo tape. And they accept me, and, which is a little startling again. And, and, and um, so then I, I trudged down at Lewisburg, this tiny little town. Where, where, and one of the sweetest things about this town is that there are just azaleas everywhere. And the, and the competition was always in April. And it, I had this very kind of sweet memory of just seeing these very pretty flowers uh, in, in Lewisburg. Um, and so the way it works in the competition is there's two divisions. There's popular and classical. So I prepared uh, songs in each. And what's interesting when you show up at a place where your whole life, you've been the blank. Like, so I was, my whole life, the whistler from five until at that point I was in my early 20s. So I had no idea how good I was relative to all the other the whistlers who had come from around the world to come and compete in this competition. <clears throat> so I, I do my songs and turn, I, I win a prize in the popular category. So I whistled uh, In the Mood by Glenn Miller. goes on and on and on. But that, you know, it's a good, nice, upbeat jazz song. Uh, and I came in second pr 
place, so I won a prize in this national competition. I thought, holy moly, this is, this is now, like, I'm on a roll here now. <clears throat> and so I, I didn't do as well in the classical category, but I, I, I left determined. So I come back to Washington, and then I spend the whole year rehearsing. And I'm trying to find songs that I think are interesting and that are good for my skill set and the different whistling techniques that I use. And I'll, I'll tell you some of the funky ones in, in, in just a bit. Then I go back in 1994, and I win the whole darn thing. And it was a wild, wild experience. And um, <clears throat> I was working on Cap. It's not that funny. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> But when you're a whistler, you just get used to it, so don't worry. Okay? <laughs> uh, so I, I come back um, to Washington, and like all hell breaks loose. So I'm working on Capitol Hill for a, um, a congressman, and the Today Show calls, the Tonight Show calls, and I, have, I do 100 radio interviews, and people are coming with cameras, and they, they all want to interview the whistler, and it was just a totally, utterly bizarre experience. Um, I ended up getting fired from that job, so it probably <laughs> did not help. Okay. <laughs> There were other contributing factors as well, but, um, uh, but that's another story. And um, so this kind of, this sets me on this journey. So now I am an, a really accomplished whistler. I've won this, at that point it was a national competition and the next year it became an international competition. And this is where the, the long strange trip kind of component comes in because so for almost 24 years, it's been since then, uh, I've just been able to take this, the whistle and just apply it in different circumstances. And um, what's really fascinating about it is that it is really a very simple thing. And that's ultimately what led to the book, which I'll, I'll get to a little later. Uh, but it's just been really fun. And to be able to take my simple little thing and just share it with people. And it was both kind of proactive and reactive. You know, when The Tonight Show called, I, I didn't reach out to them, they called me. So that's more on the reactive side. But on the proactive side, um, I would just start, I started whistling happy birthday for people. And kind of one by one by one, kind of year after year. And now I'm up to 525 happy birthdays a year. Uh, so I've done three today. And if there's someone here with a birthday, I'm, or if you're in the orbit of your birthday, I want to whistle for you too. Um, and. Uh, one time I said, wow, wouldn't it be cool to whistle with a symphony orchestra? Because I, all that classical training that I had, um, I got pretty good at one piece in particular, which is Mozart's oboe concerto. And so a concerto is a solo instrument with an orchestra. And I I'd mastered it. Literally, it's a pretty complex piece. And uh, so I said, well, if it's going to happen, no one's just going to call me. So I, I made a demo tape, and I wrote a letter, and I said, yes, I know this is outrageous but it's real and it will be good for you. And I sent it to 50 conductors in the metropolitan area and two of them said yes. I mean, it was utterly shocking. So I performed this 22 minute concerto with a full symphony orchestra in like 1994 or something like that. And, that, and I've since performed with 10 other orchestras including the National Symphony in front of 60,000 people at the US Capitol. And I mean, just really funky thing. So, um, and, and what's been really, really fun about it is, um, you know, the, the joy it brings me to be able to share this simple gift with people, and then kind of have the boomerang effect that when I whistle "Happy Birthday" for people, that it brings them joy. And I mean, countless times, and this is really at the heart of why I love doing this, is that they say a lot of people say, "Well, you made my day," and I'm like, "Really?" And they're like, "Yeah, this is." 
it's special. You know, birthday, we all love our birthdays, but when you think about a birthday and celebrating people's birthdays, you can only celebrate kind of so many before it's a little weird. Like, so I, so if, if you're like, if I would just call up a random person and sing for them, they would think it's weird. But I routinely whistle for complete strangers and they think it's awesome. So it's been, <laughs> you might not think it's awesome, but it's good. Uh, it, it has been this amazing joy in my life, um, which is actually how the book got written. Um, and this is, this is a pretty, pretty fascinating story. Um, I presume people here know about TED Talks. Uh, well, there's a really, really neat TED here in Washington called TEDx Mid-Atlantic. Uh, and in 2012, my boss, uh, a guy named David Rubenstein, who's the founder of the Carlyle Group, was giving a talk on philanthropy. Uh, so he's out on stage, and I'm backstage. I'm the PR guy, just you know, doing what PR people do, monitoring, just in case. You never know. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> he comes off the stage, and the organizer you know, comes up to David and says, that was great. And they, just, they kind of walk off, and I'm tagging along behind. And then David runs ahead, because he has emails to send to fellow billionaires. And I'm with the organizer, and the organizer says, hey, you know, we're planning next year's TEDx, if you know anyone who's interesting and has something to say. And I said, I'm a shameless self-promoter. So I took out my business card, but it was my Carlisle card. And I said, here, look me up. Just said Chris Ullman, you know, head of communications, Carlisle. And six months go by. And then I just randomly pick up the phone one day. And this string of expletives comes into my ear. You're a GD Whistler. What the F are you doing? You know, and I mean, it was just, I'm like, who are you? And he says, he said, I'm saying, uh, um, whatever his name was, um, from, from TEDx. And, and he said, you, you're a champion whistler and you didn't tell me? I said, no, I was in a hurry and I wanted you to do some work. And, and, um, so he said, I want you to do a TED talk. And I said, great. And then he says, well, what would you talk about? And I said, I don't know, let me think about it. So I literally spent months trying to figure out why would anyone care that I can whistle well. <laughs> I still, still wonder about that, okay. <laughs> years later. Uh, so I was pondering, pondering, pondering. So I decided to just make a list. So I made a list of kind of interesting stories that I've accumulated over the years. Like, as Peter said, whistling for the president in the Oval Office and you know, happy birthday and all this kind of stuff. And so I had a nice kind of, kind of list of stories, but I wasn't sure what the point was. Like, what is the point? You know, a good TED Talk has to have a point. So when people walk out of that room and CNN sticks a camera in their face and they say, what did the whistler say? They gotta be able to say, boom. So one day on a bike ride, it just occurred to me that we have a very hero-centric culture. And we love our heroes. And they could be sports heroes, and they could be politicians, or people who've uh, climbed Mount Everest blind, or rode across the Atlantic single-handedly. And, and I love heroes. I think like Louis Zamperini, who if anyone's ever seen the movie Unbroken or read the book, like amazing stuff. However, there aren't enough heroes in the world to save the world, where well, they need us, people who are not heroes. And then I realized, I'm not a hero. I'm just a whistler. This is super simple stuff. It's about as simple as you can get. I happen to be good at it, but it is really a simple concept. So I said, that's it. It's the power of simplicity, and let's get away from the hero mentality. So uh, I, I do the TED Talk, and it was very well received. And, and then um, my wife said to me, you should write a book about this. And even if no one buys it, at least your children will know what you've done. I said, okay, well, so I'll do that. So I, I, I wrote the book, and with this kind of concept of you know, the power of simplicity. 
Uh, but I did find a publisher, and, and, I'm, and the book got produced, and lots of fun photos in there. And um, uh, so it's been just a totally wild, wild journey. So um, hang on one second. Kind of wet the wet the whistle here. Okay. <laughs> Here's a w fun whistling fact: is that if you drink too much water, it dries your mouth out, uh, which sounds counterintuitive. But if you think about it, if you lick your lips a lot, it makes them dry. It does not make them moist. Same thing, if you whistle, if you drink too much water, it actually kind of removes the natural kind of viscosity of your saliva and dries your mouth out. So that's a um, useless piece of information at your next um, <laughs> cocktail party. Okay. <laughs> All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just kind of sprinkle some of my fun uh, songs that I really love to whistle kind of through this talk. So this is just uh, Belle from Beauty and the Beast. So. Um, my kids uh, love the movie, and they drag me to it, and I'm like, wow, that's really good. So, um, all right. So I'm going to do a couple of funky techniques here that I'm going to explain afterwards. So pay close attention. Okay. This, uh, all right, so most whistling is lips, tongue, air. You know, form a pucker, put your tongue kind of below your bottom of your front teeth and blow gently. Let's hear it, come on. All right, it's good. There are some champions in this room, I feel it. Okay. <clears throat> all right, but the interesting thing, I can whistle with my tongue, so no lips. So the way, and then if you go like wah-wah, and at the same time, you get um, So what I've been able to do is take the kind of the core whistling, which is lips, tongue, air, and then use that as kind of the main uh, driver, and then throw in these embellishments, what I, the referee whistle and the wah-wah whistle, kind of spice it up a little. Like there's this section of um, song I like to do uh, called Luck Be a Lady from Guys and Dolls, where there's a repeated phrase five times in a row. And if you do it, as anyone has ever played an instrument, and I'm sure many of you have, you can't repeat a phrase the same way over and over and over again. The, the listener will, will fall asleep. So I was able to use these different techniques um, and kind of vary them or intersperse them to make the music more interesting. And, I, and it really taught me a lot about kind of how to win a competition. Because when you go into a competition, you, know, you again, you think you're great, but the judges are you know, measuring you against all these other great people. So the key is differentiation. You know, what am I going to do that's just a little different? 
Uh, is my pitch going to be a little better, or am I going to interpret the piece in a more dynamic way? And that's where I really excel, is using these funky techniques to try to interpret the piece in a different way. I mean, I, I think that in itself is a really great metaphor for life. You know, how do we differentiate ourselves in, in the marketplace, whether you're dating, and we, you know, differentiation there is critical, or if you're looking for a job, or <laughs> um, is you know, trying to figure out you know, how do you do that? And I mean, part of my life philosophy is called different but not too freaky, which is why. <laughs> well, you may or may not agree whether I've achieved it, but that's a different, that's a different thing. But the, so the, these funky embellishments, are, they're different, they're not too freaky, but in, they're, and they don't dominate the whistling either. They're just a little embellishment and people go, oh, what was that? That's interesting. So it's, it's, it's just a way of kind of adding some dimension to the music to just make it more interesting for the listener or for the, for the judge. Um, so I want to tell you about um, George W. Bush in the Oval Office. So this is a utterly like, bizarre and, and kind of cool, totally cool experience. Where, so I, I, I worked, at, I was the OMB spokesman, Office of Management and Budget, in uh, the beginning of uh, George W. Bush administrations, this is in uh, 2001. Uh, and one day I got invited to whistle happy birthday at Andy Card's birthday party. So Andy Card was the chief of staff to Bush at that time. Um, and so I, I went and whistled and it was just all the bigwigs except the president. So you had Andy Card and Condoleezza Rice and um, Ari Fleischer and I mean Carl Rove, like all these bigwigs. And, like no one really knew who I was because I wasn't a West Wing staffer, but they marched me out, and it's, I feel like a pet monkey at times. But you know, <laughs> I, it's okay. It's not so bad. Um, so, <laughs> um, so I whistle and it goes well, and then I kind of just go back to OMB, and you know, around a week later, I. Uh, all the senior staff at OMB were marching into the director's office. Is Mitch Daniels? Um, who was the director at the time. And he cancels the meeting, he says, meeting's canceled. He said, Ullman, you stay. Now, any of, anyone here is in communications, you know, you're just one bad quote away from losing your job. I mean, if you just say something stupid in the New York Times, it could be curtains. So I assumed I had said something stupid or ill-advised or whatever. So I walk in his office and with this kind of Cheshire grin, he says to me, get your jacket. We're going to the Oval Office to whistle for the president. It's like, are you serious? He said, I am serious now. You don't leave the president waiting. So I ran, I ran back to my office, I got my jacket, but I took like 30 seconds to call my wife. And I get her and I say, Chris, her name's Chris too. <laughs> uh, I, said, I wasn't talking to my, in the third person. No, so, okay. I said, Chris, I'm going to the Oval Office to whistle with the president right now. And she says, can I come? And I'm like, no, I gotta go, sorry. <laughs> So then Mitch and I, we go from um, what is now called the Eisenhower Executive Office Building, and we're walking over there, and, and then uh, I say, well, what do you think I should do? Should I whistle Hail to the Chief? And he said, no, 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 he doesn't like that song. He said, well, do all your standards. And I said, it's the president, come on. You know? um, and then we, we came up with this uh, very sly thing where we would do a duet, and Mitch, Mitch is a ventrilo whistler. So he whistles with his tongue, and you can't tell he's whistling. You know, it's, uh, so it, it was kind of funky. So we were going to do dueling banjos, and he was going to kind of launch into it with a And then I would be like And then and, Anyway, so and then Bush is like, what's going on here? 
You don't joke with the president, okay? Um, anyhow, so we, we walk over, we get to the Oval Office, and I'd never met him, I'd never been in the Oval Office, and they, you know, when you're actually expected there, you know, the guys with the guns under their jackets just let you walk right by, and I, I walk in, and Bush is just at his desk, he's got his feet up on the desk, he's got an unlit cigar in his hand, just kind of hanging out, and I'm thinking, man, that's, that's a cool life. And then uh, he sees me, and he jumps up, and he comes around the desk, and he says, shakes my hand, he says, what's your name? He said, who taught you how to whistle? You sit, you stand, you need water? I'm like, dude. <laughs> dude, I'm moist and puckered, I'm ready to go. Okay, no. So, I, I made this fatal mistake, and um, you know the, uh, the old lawyerly admonition, which is you don't ask a question you don't know the answer to? So he said, well, whistle for me, after we were chatting. And um, I said, okay, well, what kind of music do you like? <laughs> yeah. And he said, country western. Like, oh, great. You noticed that was not on the list Peter read before, you know? So I'm thinking, country western, country western. Ah! I said, how about the Lone Ranger song? He's like, perfect! Now, I didn't have the heart to tell him it's an Italian opera. Okay, but, you know? But then maybe he didn't have the heart to tell me, I don't know, my Rossini from my Hank Williams, but probably not. Okay. So I, um, and that's... And it goes, da -la -da -la -da -la -da -da. anyway, so I, I do that, and he's happy. I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. Uh, and then we, we chat a little more, do some more songs, and and then um, I say, well, he said, do something hard. <laughs> I said, that was hard. He said, harder. <laughs> I said, okay. Uh, and he said, I said, how about some classical music? And he said, not Bach. So he was very specific, not Bach. I mean, it's probably some German thing going on. I don't know. But he said, well, ask the vice president. And I turn around, and there's a whole gaggle of people, like Cheney and like five, six, seven other people had walked in, and I was pointed towards the, the president, chatting with him, and I said, wow, Mr. Vice President, what do you want to hear? And he said, Beethoven. So I whistle a little, so I whistle, do a little Fifth Symphony. Not the whole thing, that would take an hour. But, um, and then we had a ton of fun with that. Um, so it was, it, it was a really, really very fascinating experience. And um, then he said, you know, do another, do another. And I said, well, I don't want to overdo it. And he said, oh, I'll let you know when I've had enough. Okay. <laughs> he said, all right, you are the president. Um, anyway, so we finish up. I, I, do, I did finish, uh, whistle one more song, which I'm going to whistle at the end of my chat tonight. So I'm going to leave you hanging there. Um, anyway, and Mitch and I did do our dueling banjos, and that was fun, and, and um, it was just, it was a really amazing experience. And um, now from that kind of very auspicious setting, I had another really kind of funky experience where, uh, and this, this relates to my happy birthday whistling habit, uh, where uh, I was on a plane, in, uh, uh, Turkish Air in Istanbul, and we had left the gate. So we are literally taxiing to the runway and my cell phone rings and my wife says to me, hey, have you whistled a happy birthday for Becky yet? Now Becky at that time was our children's uh, babysitter's mother. And I'm like, oh man. And she said, well, if you like date night, you better whistle for Becky. <laughs> so um, I'm like, no, we're taxiing. I am buckled in. The flight attendants are nowhere to be seen. They're buckled in. She's like, date night, click. <laughs> I'm like, oh my. So uh, I look around, there is no, there, everyone's buckled in. So I just say, screw it, date night's important. So I, I get up, I go right to the bathroom, and I speed dial Becky, you know, we're taxiing 
taxing, taxing. Uh, I get her voicemail, thankfully, because there's no time for chit-chat. <laughs> I deliver a very uh, crisp and, and uh, happy birthday. I flush for effect, you know, okay? <laughs> um, and I come right out of the bathroom, I sit down, boom, as the plane is leaving the ground. And it, is, it was a bizarre, bizarre experience. <laughs> but the most important thing is date night lives on, okay? <laughs> um, so that, that was cool. So. Um, as Peter mentioned, I, I whistle a lot of happy birthdays, and this is, it's effectively become a ministry for me, and it, it brings just this immense amount of joy to my life, um, and to, to be able to honor people on their special day. And um, so, is anyone celebrating a birthday today, yesterday, tomorrow? Are we in the orbit? Someone! Someone! You! Birthday girl! When's your birthday? Uh, it's February 10th. February 10th. Perfect! <laughs> All right. Have you ever been serenaded by a champion whistler before? <laughs> no. Okay. Do you, I'm not even going to ask you if you want to be. Okay. <laughs> but I'm whistling for you, not at you. There's a difference. Okay. Okay. All right. This, again, this underlying kind of theme in the book is the, the capacity for a simple gift to make a difference. And I want to give you a happy birthday example. And this like, chokes me up every time I talk about it. It's really astounding. So um, my uh, five, six, seven, eight years ago or so, my godmother passed away. And she lived in, a, in an apartment building in Queens in New York. Uh, we go to the funeral. And at the funeral, I meet her best friend. Her best friend's name is Jean. And so Jean is like really sweet, and she knew everything about us. She knew my kids' names, and she knew who we were, and I didn't, and I didn't know her at all, but they were such close friends, and they were both, one was uh, never married, my godmother, and Jean was a widow, and, but they were super close. And, and I said, you know, I want to honor you, so when's your birthday? So she tells me when her birthday is. So I start whistling happy birthday for her, kind of year after year. So like, by the kind of the fourth year, so this is, four or five years or so ago. I get her in the afternoon. I think it was a Saturday afternoon at around 3 p.m. And, and she sounds a little, a little groggy. She just had surgery. And so we're chatting. And I said, uh, well, can I whistle happy birthday for you? And she says, oh, I would love that. And, but before I even start, she says, by the way, you're the first person I've talked to today. And, and I thought, well, how's that possible? You know, but then you think about it. Here is this senior citizen, she's in her almost 90 at this point, in this little apartment, in a high rise, in Queens, in this giant city, all alone. And it's 3 p.m. in the afternoon, and she hasn't talked to anyone yet. And again, I, I, I never try to overestimate kind of the whistle on one hand, 
but it just is an affirmation of just the power of this little simple thing that for five minutes, the whistle was almost like a little skeleton key that gave me access to her heart just for a few minutes and brought her a little joy. Now, for all I know, she had a wild party that night with her grandkids, <laughs> but you know, probably not. And it's those kind of simple little moments that have kind of helped me realize and appreciate the power of the simple gift. And one of the things I do in the book, which is really special to me, is uh, I feature 10 other people whose simple gifts have touched my heart. Um, as a first-time author, I presumed people would grow tired of hearing about me, <laughs> so I thought I would tell them about other people, uh, but you know, in a certain context. And I do want to, I'm going to read one of them now for you. So this one, um, one of the 10 people is my mom, who, please pray for her, she has the flu and she's in the hospital. So that's uh, scary when you're 80 years old. Uh, hang on one second. So what, what, the neat thing I do is, um, uh, the, so there are 10 of them, and they're these little two-page vignettes with a nice pen and ink drawing and, um, on one side and a little blurb about what their whistle is. And so my mom's whistle is empathy. So uh, let me read this section to you. Frances is her name, and uh, her whistle's empathy. And we met on May 9th of 1963 at 3.16 p.m. in the delivery room of <laughs> Peck Memorial Hospital in Brooklyn, New York, though I have no recollection of the blessed event. So, uh, so her whistle in action. So in our kitchen growing up hung a plaque. Great spirit, grant that I might not criticize my neighbor until I have walked a mile in his moccasins. And that well captures my mother's spirit of empathy, which pervades her thoughts and deeds. It's as if her own challenging childhood gave her a window into the hidden struggles that so many of us have. When my siblings and I complained of annoying grade school classmates, mom's response was universally, be nice to them, they have problems at home. And though the response itself was frustrating to a pre teen seeking validation of grievances, over time it seeped into my soul. And so today, when I show compassion to someone in need, it's my mom's heart and love I'm channeling. Her empathy is so simple, but so mind-bogglingly deep. It comes from a complex place I will never fully comprehend, and it manifests itself in ways that are obvious and devoid of rationale, as pure love should be. It is instinctual and, enjoy and joyous. And because of her, I try to, hard to ask questions and listen to the answers. I've learned to extend a hand rather than a finger. And I've seen that the journey is better if the shoes I'm wearing aren't always mine. So that's Fran Ullman. And what a whistle she has. Okay. Thank you. Um, so I, I feature nine other people, and their whistles run the gamut. And I mean, from these amazingly simple things, and that's really the beauty of it. I mean, my mom is not solving the world's problems, but anyone who's met her in, in the course of her 80 years has been touched by this simple gift that she has. I know I, know I have, and my siblings have. I mean, it's an amazing gift. Um, there's a, on the lighter side, uh, I feature a gentleman named John who used to work with, was on my team when I was SEC spokesman uh, in the Clinton administration. And John's whistle is carrot cake making. 
So during um, the four years I was there, he would make a carrot cake for everyone's birthday on our public affairs team. And it is the best carrot cake in the world. And I haven't worked with him in 20 years or so, but every year on New Year's Eve, he makes me a carrot cake. And I love it. It is a simple little thing. It, it touches my heart as well as my tummy. And, um, and it's just so nice. And he doesn't have to do it. He's not changing the world, but it's, he's going out of his way in a way that works for him. And uh, also on the, the lighter side, there's this young lady who makes uh, homemade Christmas cards. And I've known her for 30 years or so, and it's my favorite Christmas card. I get you know, who knows how many, dozens of Christmas cards, and it's the one I love the best. It is homemade, it's always unique, and you know when the Christmas cards start arriving, or holiday cards, sometimes you know, some people do it around Thanksgiving, and you know, sometimes people wait, but we're always saying, do we get Kelly's card yet? Do we get, you know, we're all excited. Everyone likes the card. And when I called her to say, I want to put you in my book, she's like, oh, come on, it's just a card. Like, what's the big deal? And I said, but we like your card, and it's a special thing. And she's like, oh, okay. She's from Minnesota, so she's very nice. Okay. <laughs> uh, and she said, all right, I'm, I'd be honored if you put me in there. And it, it's just another like, little example of how simplicity can touch a heart. Um, and and the, the, the fourth person I'll cite is um, Father John Adams. I bet many of you have heard of um, So Others Might Eat. It's a group that helps homeless people here in DC. And Father John has dedicated like 40 plus years of his life to helping homeless people. And his gift is love. I mean, he, he, is, he gives it all. And their philosophy at some is helping people one person at a time and it's, it is so powerful. They're gonna love the person they're next to. They're not gonna worry about everyone, they're just gonna love that person and give, bring dignity to that person with that gift of love. And so ultimately, the, the core message here, I mean, yes, I want people to, to hear the fun stories and be entertained, and, uh, but I want the reader to scratch their head and say, what is my whistle? What is my gift? And to get away from that, that hero-centric mentality and try to, think small, like the power of small, and you know, what is something that I do that can touch a heart or you know, a number of hearts that I come in contact with on a daily basis. And you'd be amazed at what you will find out. And, and I bet many of you do know what your whistle is. But if you don't, you got to go find it. Uh, when I was writing the book, uh, I, I did a whistle talk like this at a, a corporate event, and a gentleman came up to me. He was probably in his early 30s, and, and he just declared, I don't have a whistle. I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> I, I bet you do. I said, let's talk. And we chatted for like 10, 15 minutes, and it, was, it became so clear what this guy's whistle was. But he hadn't given it a name. It was much more of a passive kind of thing. And I think there's power in naming something. When you name it, you own it. And when you own it, you develop it, and you're more likely to share it. Uh, and I think that's just amazingly powerful. How are we doing on time? All right. I'm going to tell you one, one more very bizarre story. OK. <clears throat> so I work at the Carlisle Group. It's a global investment firm. And so Carlisle has relationships with powerful people all around the world. So one night, I was. Uh, at a Carlisle event, it was around 9 p.m., and I got a call from my boss who said, 
the president of the Bank of China is going to be in Washington the next day, and we want you to come and whistle for him. <laughs> now, under most circumstances, people would think that's odd, but I think, what, what the heck, sure. We'll whistle a few songs, and all will be well. And he said, I, and I said, well, uh, he said, do you know the song, his favorite song? And I said, well, is it the Chinese national anthem? And he said, no, it's the theme song to Titanic, My Heart Goes On. <laughs> And I said, you're kidding. And he said, I am not kidding. And I said, well, I don't know that song. I am not whistling that song. I am going to whistle A Train by Duke Ellington because I like that song. And he said, you will whistle that song at 9 a.m. tomorrow. Goodbye. <laughs> so, you know, as David Rubenstein once told me, this is, this is a worthwhile digression here. I made a CD 15 years ago. Uh, with symphony orchestra, and I went to David Rubenstein, and I said, David, I said, I have a CD coming out. I'm going to get some attention from the press. I just want you to know I'm committed to Carlisle. And David is, <laughs> David is very dry, and he says to me, I'm not worried. We pay you more than you'll ever make whistling. <laughs> but the, the, point, <laughs> the point is that you don't piss off the boss. That's really what it comes down to. So I panic. I, I saw that movie when it came out, like 100 years ago. I mean, it came out a long time ago, so I couldn't remember the song. I'm not a Celine Dion fan. And so I like, fire up YouTube, and I'm like, it's not coming back to me. And this is 10 o'clock at night, and the gig is at 9 the next morning. And so I'm concerned, to say the least. So I, I go to bed and w with the tune kind of there on my brain, and I wake up, and it, nothing, it's gone. The memory banks are, are barren. So I just cram, and uh, so I, I'm looking at Leonardo DiCaprio with frost all over the poor man's body, and, <laughs> and, and crooning along, and so I, you know, I'm starting to get it, all right? I'm getting it, but you know what it's like when you have your favorite tune, and you're in the car, and you know every word to the song, but then you take away the song, and you realize you really don't know the words. So I've, I have to do this a cappella in front of this banker the next morning, or that morning at that point. <clears throat> so uh, anyway, eventually I feel like I've got it. And I had run out of time anyway. So I jump in a cab. I go over to, to the US Chamber of Commerce in this really beautiful, august room, and there's a 100 people there, it was US senator there, and all these Chinese businessmen and bankers, and the top banker in the world's largest country is there. And so my boss introduces me, and the banker doesn't speak English, so we had consecutive translations. So my boss said, this is Chris Ullman. He's a champion whistler, um, whistler, and then he's going to whistle the theme song to Titanic for you. So his, his face was just kind of blank the whole time until the translator got to the word Whistler, and he grimaced, like, uh-oh. <laughs> but then he got to the word what, Titanic and a big smile, and I thought, <laughs> all right, so there is hope. He actually knows the tune. So this, this, is, this is it, all right. So I'm maybe like seven feet, like right here, from, from the banker. I get in the groove, kind of shake it off, all right. I start whistling with my eyes closed, and suddenly I hear the song. I'm thinking, oh, that's interesting. So I open my eyes. He is humming along with me, note for note. His eyes are closed, and he is conducting like this. <laughs> he is in, a, in an idyllic state. And I'm looking at this saying, whoa. <laughs> I said, if you screw this up, you will cause a diplomatic incident. So be careful here. And so we did a duet. I mean, it was, 
it was actually probably one of the most heartwarming things that ever happened to me whistling. Because you think of it, if I had encountered him just walking down the street, I mean, we wouldn't have been able to talk to each other. It, even if I could speak Chinese, we would have talked about interest rates, not about Celine Dion. I mean, and so it was this incredible moment where, you know, I've been in Washington 31 years now. I mean, things like that don't happen at all. But in this one little moment where this very powerful banker just totally let his guard down and he was at peace in the midst of all these big wig peers of his. So it was, it was a really remarkable experience. And um, so I'm, I was so blessed. And that's just a, another kind of just a little packet of joy just kind of slipped into his heart. It was, it was really neat. Uh, so I'm going to bring you back to the Oval Office. I mentioned that earlier. All right. Uh, so Bush says, uh, all right, do one more to get us going for the day. I said, all right, well, what, what's a good finale for an Oval Office gig? So I, I love the song Battle Hymn of the Republic, but I, I never whistled it publicly before. So I said, all right, I'm going to do that. So it was, it was kind of the inspiration of the moment. So here we go. That's our show for this week. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the Social University. We are the Grad School for Life, and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. Check us out at ivy.com for life-changing advice and gatherings, and the foremost thought leaders shaping our world today. For more information about the Ivy community, and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us via membership at ivy.com. Dream big and stay inspired.